We've left off at verse 2. We've taken a verse at a time of chapter 12 because we're in a real hurry, right? Um, So let's start at verse 1 again. And I'll explain kind of where we're going to be going here, or at least kind of prep us into this. But we'll read to verse 7, but that's not my intent is to get through verse 7. Actually, I have intent of getting through verse 5. <clears throat> but read along starting in verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, but all members do not have the same function, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that was given to us, let us use them. Prophecy, well then, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. If in ministry, I'm sorry, <coughs> if, or ministry, let us use that in ministering. Or in teaching, in teaching, he who exhorts, in exhortation. He who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Will you pray with me, please? Oh, Lord God, how utterly magnificent you are. How wonderful, how glorious. How kind and loving. And how astounding you are to give us this time. We recognize tonight, Lord, that you have a plan for each of us. And in that plan that you have for each of us, you desire to draw us closer. To bring us to the cross. To bring us to that yes. And that yes From this point forward, that yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Yes, Lord, I'll take up my cross. Yes, Lord, whatever you have for me, I just want to say yes. And so tonight I pray that as you settle our our, our just the, the agitation of the day, the noise of the outside world that's so prevalent, Open our hearts, God, that this wouldn't simply be some form of intellectual exercise where we can nod to the ideals before us, but that we would be open to allow your Holy Spirit to minister in ways we didn't even expect tonight. So, Lord, I, I just pray tonight for every man here, every woman here, If there be any who have yet to know you as Lord and Savior, let tonight be the night of their salvation. For those who have already gone from sinner to saved, Lord, bring them to a place of becoming a student. For those, Lord, that are growing in their study of you, in their pursuit of you, bring them to that beautiful blossoming flower of service. So, Lord, I pray tonight that we would have so much 
fun in your scripture, that it would be living and vibrant and thriving and that we would find ourselves thriving in you in it. So Lord, immerse me in your Holy Spirit that you would do through me what I cannot humanly do. Fill me to overflowing, Lord, that your word would just flow beautifully and let it all become so clear as I pray now, Lord Jesus, that you would do your ministry to each of us. And so, Father, I just pray now, engulf us in you. Transform us in you. Invigorate us in you. That the world would see what happens when a life is surrendered to you. So have your way, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I would say tonight, as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Not me. Not any guy with a mic or a tie or a lame coat or a TV show or a radio program or whatever. In the end of it all, there's only one thing that stood the test of time and the greatest minds and that is this beautiful book, infallible in all ways here. And I love how God works. This book, for review, breaks up into five easy sections. And some of you are going, uh-oh, I think I know them. Maybe do I? Let's see. Chapters one and two focus on what? Does anyone remember? Sin. Excellent. Chapters three through five focus on salvation. Excellent. Chapters 6 through 8 focus on sanctification. Nice. Chapters 9 through 11 focus on sovereignty. God is sovereign and smart. Chapters 12 through 16 then focus on service. Servizio. Now, to wrap up where we're at to get to this chapter 12 that is so beautiful and profound, as has been the rest. Chapters 1 and 2, God reveals himself to man. Man says, no, me first. That is the original and ever-pervading mindset of sin. And by the way, can I just say, it's so nice to be able to speak without an interpreter for a little bit here. I'm, I'm going to have to pick every word that's sort of monosyllabic. And you know, I'm like, okay, don't say it that way. And... Chapters 1 and 2, God says, here I am, I love you. He reveals his love before us. He reveals his love in us, his invisible qualities, his eternal attributes, his divine godhood, being seen even by what he's made. So man is without excuse. You want to understand God's mercy? Watch what happens when you get a cut. It heals. That's mercy. We don't deserve that. If our body had a will of its own, and some of us feel like it does, I grant you that. Um, as we get older, it seems like gravity actually has the greater pull. But, but you, 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 if your body was like, you know what? Forget it, man. I'm not going to heal because you'll just probably cut yourself again. Aren't you thankful your body isn't that rebellious? But man, instead of choosing God first, chooses himself first. And that is the root of every sin. It's just me first. So we get to chapters 3 through 5. And again, what is that section on? 3 through 5. Salvation. 
just, that's all right. You just jump ahead. Now, clearly, God starts chapter 3. There's a universal need. Because everybody sins, the need is the same. And because there is a universal need, praise God, there is a universal cure. So people say, do you really think Jesus is what people need in China? And my answer is, duh. It doesn't matter where it is. Are Chinese sinners? Yes. So then they need the Savior of sinners. Now, we don't read anyone else as the friend of sinners. We don't read anyone else as the Savior of sinners. So it would be really nice to bring to any sinner the Savior. I kinda, that's kind of how it works. If you're in Turkey, are the people that are in Turkey, are the Turks, or Turkish, however you want to put it, are they sinners? Yeah, so what do they need? A Savior of sinners. The need is universal, and the answer is universal. Jesus Christ. And He demands to be Lord. Now understand, for Jesus to be Lord, He demands to be first. As Jeffrey so eloquently put it, eminent. Now, <laughs> He needs to be first. Now, that's a radical shift. When everything is about me first, me first, me first, to be saved, I have to put Jesus first. Which means I can't tell Jesus, Jesus, you can save this part of me, but I really want this. I have this identity and I don't want you to change it. I have this thing, I don't want you to touch it. Because in the end of it all, if he's going to be first, he has to be willing to call the shots. He has to be able to call the shots. So, three through five, salvation. He, Jesus says, look it, I died on the cross for your sins. If you're a sinner, I've paid for it. I rose from the grave to give you a brand new life and I demand to be first. Will you make me first? And that just takes the act of faith Faith is simply trust, and the act is called believing, and that simply means that you spend your trust on Jesus. Six through eight now, we start to see that, well, even though we've been saved, and again, six through eight is about what? Sanctification, which is a fancy word that simply means God sets people apart. A bit funny because it seems to me like the church is trying to be more and more like the world, while God is trying harder more and more to make us not like the world. So the more you try to look like the world, act like the world, be like the world, when God's trying to set you apart, man, you're fighting God. What you doing? You surrendered to God and then decided that he was, you really didn't allow him to be the architect of your reinvention. In 6 through 8, he starts to tell us, and he starts to batter us with these beautiful questions. Should we sin that grace should abound? Should we sin because, or continue in sin because grace should abound? Should we, you know, should we sin because we're not under grace, but we're under law? Is law the problem? And he looks and he goes, really, these are the questions you want to ask. Now listen, listen, listen. One to two, sin. What does it mean? Me first. It's all about me, man. It's all about me. Chapters three through five, salvation. Jesus, I put you first. I surrender myself under you. Now you want to play me first. Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I, can, why don't I just continue in sin? Because it's about me, me, me. Does that sound a little strange if you're saved? Does that sound a lot like the old guy that you're supposed to say, well, that guy died. Jesus nailed him to the cross and he resurrected to give you a whole new you. So why would you want to live like the guy that, well, it's no longer you anymore? And with that, God's got a whole new everything. You, I mean, you were 70, you know, you were 70 stone, unbelievably large. And you woke up one day and you had the form and figure of an Olympic athlete. You don't even know how you did it. All you just know is it was a miracle. All of a sudden, you're breathing. Getting up from bed actually doesn't take any form of machinery like a crane to get you up. I mean, at this point, and you know, you're just, and you pop out of bed and you take a look and you open up your closet and what's there? Clothes that don't fit you. As a matter of fact, they fit you and seven of your closest friends. 
You're thinking of donating them to like, I don't know, people who parachute, you know? And, and, and I'm not trying to pick on large people. Please understand. The whole point of it is, is there's a whole new you. And that whole new you has a whole new life that has a whole new outlook, that has a whole new way of doing things and a whole new wardrobe. Because the whole new you is very different from the old you. And by the time we get through chapter 6 through 8, what we see is we've got this beautiful ministry of the Holy Spirit transforming you from the inside out. And as He transforms you from the inside out, you see things differently. You value things differently. Because now, instead of walking in the flesh where it's me first, me first, you're walking in the Spirit where it's Jesus first and you second and me last. And he goes, that's a radical difference. And he goes, hey, look at those who walk in the flesh. You're not going to please God that way. You can't please God acting like an unbeliever. And let me just say this, that unsaved mind, that unsaved walking in the flesh, that flesh nature will never please God. And by the way, he tells us in chapter eight, we'll never convert. You will never find the old person to convert. That old mindset, that old me first, me first does not convert. Me first, that's why me first has to die. Oh, but listen. By God's Holy Spirit, He changes things to make other people more important. That's the beauty here. And with that, He says then, we're more than conquerors. We're not only more than conquerors, but we are victorious, inseparable from God's love. And God starts to show us that this new life is a radical one. And with that then, we start to want God's will and even God's way. The problem is we could try to outlogic God's ways in a way that we think we understand everything God's doing. And please understand, he's always going to be smarter than us here on earth. Oh, but please, yeah. Oh, please listen. We sometimes try to do God the favor. A problem comes in our life and we, we think it through and we evaluate and we say, here's options A, B, and C. God, I know you're busy. I know you're doing a lot. So here are three options. I want to lay them before you just to make it easier on you. And God says, I pick D. And you say, I wasn't one of my options. And God says, I know. Because God is smarter and better and it's so beautiful what he does. And so chapters 9 through 11, God uses as an example two case stories, the story of Israel and the story of the, the rest of the world. And what he shows us is that Israel, though broken off from its branch, will be reset into that branch and all Israel will be saved. The view of Israel is, is that God did this to restore them. And then we look at the rest of the world and he says, through this breaking off, the rest of the world is coming to Christ, which means they're being saved. By the time I'm done with 9 through 11, what I see is all Israel gets saved and that Gentiles have been saved. The Jews have been restored. And I get to chapter 12 and I go, in view of his mercy, at the end of chapter 11, he says, oh God, your ways are so far beyond understanding. But he celebrates it. Because the idea is, God, I can't figure out how you do stuff sometimes. But this I'm sure of. You play for keeps. When you do things, it is to permanently make the changes. Now, before that, he told us that from the moment you said yes, God immediately began the work of conforming you into his image. And therefore, every single thing will work to your good because God is so smart that even crazy situations in your life 
will still be used to make you more like him. He's so smart, even the roughest of things God knows how to use. And praise God. And I'll tell you what, even the things I don't like, I can trust and I can rest that he's still using them. And I've often said, if God showed you where he wanted to take you, you would sign up instantly. If he showed you the route he was going to take you, you'd say no. But often the route there, the route there, is the necessary and only route to get to the way that, or the place that he wants to get you to. But there is no place God wants to take you that's bad. It's only better. The road, though, is one of a carving away and a chiseling off to make us what God has intended. So he says then, in view of his mercy in chapter 12, the only reasonable thing to do is to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice to him. In light of all of these things, that God would be so beautiful as to use any situation in your life to continue to make you more like him. The only reasonable thing to do is to offer to him body and soul. And so as I offer that, let me say this to begin this, and we get into verse 3. There was a radical thing as we move into service. The radical difference between given four and given two. Please hear me. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, we read about husbands. Listen to this carefully. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Oh, that is so radical. What it doesn't say is, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself to her. The difference is radical. Hear me. Who I give myself to is who calls the shots, who has the plan, who makes the decisions, who I give myself for is who I seek to be a blessing to and serve. And what we are to do as servants is to give ourselves to God for each other, not to each other for God. And the difference is radical. If I gave myself to you, let me say it this way. Daniel and I, Dan, some of you are familiar with Daniel Taylor, who, we, who went to Rome with me. Daniel fell in love in Italy. It was pretty radical. We, were, we went to this beautiful uh, little place. And when we went to this little place called Taglicoso, and as we went to Taglicoso, he met her. And her name was Gelato. Oh. <laughs> he fell in love. For those of you who don't know, that's Italian ice cream. And so here he was, three flavors. And he's just, his face, he couldn't smile harder. His cheeks were hurting. He's like, oh, I love you. I love you. I love now. Now listen. Now let's just say you were there with with um, Daniel and myself, and you saw how much Daniel had fallen in love with, with with gelato, and you gave yourself to Daniel for the Lord. You say, "The Lord, I want to bless you, and I know the way to bless you is to actually spend a hundred quid on gelato for Daniel." But when Daniel comes out of his sugar coma from all of the gelato that you just gave him, it didn't bless the Lord because you were actually just seeking to please someone instead of bless them, and that could be really dangerous because all of a sudden you're like, "Just tell me how to make you happy," and sometimes to bless someone, you do something that doesn't make them happy but makes them better. It's the friend that has to approach someone and say, hey, look at what you're doing is wrong. 
It's when you love enough to say, you know, the place you're stepping is dangerous ground. That's not going to make someone happy. But Paul said that to the Corinthians. He says, you know, look, at, I wasn't made happy to send this letter because I knew it was going to bum you out. But I sent it because you needed it. Like a doctor would to say, look, at, I sent this out of love for you because what I really hoped is when I came to see you, you would have dealt with this so we could just enjoy each other. And so that would be the key here. In other words, there are times to bless someone. It's a rough road. But I give myself to the Lord for you. And if I don't, you're in trouble. And I'm not going to please God. And you're like, God, I'm trying so hard to serve these people. I hope you're happy. And God's like, nah, it's, you know, praise God, that's never been my paradigm. So I've never had to deal with that. But I watch people and they're exhausted because sometimes people, you know what? No church on earth is going to be a church where everyone's going to like it. It shouldn't. The same way that there isn't one restaurant that everyone thinks is their favorite. The bottom line, some like things spicier. Some like things more mild. And the same way with church, some like it more spicy and some like it more mild. But make sure you get fed. If you don't, you should have a problem at the restaurant and at the church. Now, now please hear me on that. Sometimes someone's going to come in and even if this was the best day ever, they're just not going to dig it. And you have, if all you want to do is try to make people happy, that could ruin your day. But if you're faithful to just obey what he tells you, well, then you don't freak out over it because to be honest... It's not your problem. And if I give myself, if we as servants give ourselves to the Lord, then we will be infinitely more useful for each other. Does that make sense? Now with that, let me kind of play this out a little bit. Number 23. Most of you um, may not know what that means. It's a black and red jersey. It's got sweat right here. It's, the, the fabric is no greater than any other, but it just eBayed for $124,000. 124000 I don't know who has that kind of money to spend on a shirt they're not going to wear. I mean, I, why spend that money on a shirt you would wear? But see, it isn't that the fabric was so beautiful. Or that they loved the number 23. It wasn't like it was infinitely shaped in a way, or if they rubbed it, they think something special would happen. It actually didn't smell better than other shirts that you could buy. It smelled worse. It had sweat on it. But it happened to be the jersey Michael Jordan wore when he won one of the final playoffs to win the NBA championship for basketball. And for that, it's what made it special. Please hear me. The fabric wasn't special. The number wasn't special. The shape wasn't special. The presentation wasn't special. But what, was, what made it special, listen, 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 is who wore it. And the sweat that went through it became infinitely valuable. So let me explain. Matthew 6, 6, it tells us, by the way, when you pray, don't go running around praying in front of people so that everyone can see how holy you are. You know, and the idea of it was really simple. He says, when you pray, and some of you have in your version, go in your closet and pray. But it's like, go into your room, close your door, so that this could be between you and God. Okay, so, so follow me on this for a moment. Here, this is Annie, everyone, one of our favorite people, along with all of the rest of you. And Annie 
wants to go into a prayer closet to pray, right? So let's just kind of play it out as if it were physical for a moment. So Annie comes and she goes to her prayer closet. And as she does, she opens it up. And she goes, no, it's like, I got your chair. That was the point. And she gets in her chair in her prayer closet because I didn't want to make you kneel because I thought that would be kind of awkward. She closes the door behind her and she begins to pray. They go, yeah, very nicely done. And there she is praying. Now something strange starts to happen spiritually because just... Oh, that's lovely. All of a sudden, this wall that was before her becomes a door. And it opens on this side. And as it opens on this side, it's the Lord. And as the Lord opens this side, this is his closet. Because what this closet is, is his wardrobe. Do you get it? And the Lord looks and he goes, who do I put on today? And as as Annie is praying, what is she doing? She's going, pick me, pick me, pick me. And the Lord goes, hmm. Now look at if God's people will not pray the way, okay, thank you. Okay, listen, if God's people pray selfishly, me first selfishly, and God says, who do I put on? That's different because what what Annie would be praying then is, here are my plans, God bless them. But in the prayer closet where no one else is looking, what Annie is praying is, Lord, I'm yours. And that's what you want, right? Now imagine if Michael Jordan put on this jersey. As he started to move, his jersey stopped him. And he's like, hey, 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 I'm just, wait, wait, where are we going here? I don't we should go left, not right. You know, and I was like, imagine how weird that would look. You know, you start to, you know, he's kind of, kind of like, whoa, hey, hey, hey. You know, that would look strange. But what would it be like if we were that jersey? Now listen. With all due respect to Annie, she's made of ordinary fabric like the rest of us. This is skin, just like yours. Maybe a little darker, maybe a little lighter, but it's still skin. Now, Annie's no unique in her shape. She's no unique in her height. What makes this infinitely priceless is who puts her on and sweats through her. Does that make sense? And when you see this girl raise her hands and dance before the Lord, I see the Lord sweat there. When I see this girl go and pick up a bunch of stuff from Gail's, cut it all up and go and and sing songs of praise as she lays it all out so people can eat, I see the Lord sweat through her jersey. When this girl grabs a bunch of people and takes them out on the street and says, let's go share Jesus, I see the Lord sweat in her jersey. When I see this girl invite one of my children over to her house for a sleepover, I see the Lord sweat through her jersey. When I see this gal give you a total stranger a hug at the door, and it doesn't matter who, the guy could be a biker and he could be covered in tattoos and just piercings and it just says, I hate you all over his face, but he'll cry in her arms the moment she hugs him. I see the Lord sweat on this jersey. Do you see what I'm saying? But you're like, but I'm just... A jersey, that's what you are. And you don't have to be amazing as a jersey because all you are is the jersey. If it's me first and I'm giving myself to you instead of for you, I will actually think I'm the athlete. But if I give myself to the Lord for you, I'll actually think of myself as the jersey. So Annie's in her prayer closet saying, Lord, I'm yours. The Lord opens up and he says, yes, I'll wear this today. But what if we didn't pray like that? 
What if we were actually just me first, me first, and oh, it's all about me? Could you imagine the Lord opening up this closet and saying, you know, I have nothing to wear today. Wouldn't that be sad? And you're like, but Lord, I, I am not, I'm not really that great, or I'm not really that. Could you imagine if that was the case? You opened up your closet, and you're like, I'll reach for the shirt, and the shirt pulls away. And it's like, oh, I'm not really that cool today. I'm kind of dorky. I'm kind of out of fashion. And you're like, oh, okay. And you reach for, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I fit right. Or, you know, I don't like, imagine how weird that would be. It's like a three-hour event where you're just trying to get some clothes on. Your closet going, no, I'm not really sure. Oh, I'm just, oh. I was like, hey, all right, can I just, you just reach in and grab something. Please just get on me. Imagine the Lord doing that with us. But in view of the Lord's mercy, offer your bodies. Can I just say, offer the jersey as a living sacrifice. You know what that means? That means I'm yours. You're the athlete. Holy and pleasing. It's the only reasonable thing to do. Does that make sense? Thank you. And he says, so what does that look like? If we take inventory, what does it look like to actually offer ourselves as as a living sacrifice? Well, it's interesting. The first item on the agenda, verses 2 and 3, are my mind. Did you notice that? It says, by the way, if, if if I give my mind to Jesus, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And I would, wait a minute. If I give my mind to Jesus... It will not fit into the world system well. Something really strange starts to happen. I start to look around and I go, wow, this is really shallow. It's lame. It's empty. Because the Lord starts to open our eyes. And we start to see things from that eternal perspective over the overcast. And from the perspective of eternity, things that look so important for the moment really mean nothing later on in life. Um, I'll, you know, I just, I look at Chris and I think this. I was signed to Paul Mitchell exclusively. And it's like, for some guys, it's like their glories in their body. I mean, they're just big and massive. And they're like, yeah. And you know, the girls walk by and they're like, <sighs> they just, you know, and you're like, oh boy, here it goes, right? I was raised in the 80s in, in America. And, and you know what it was for guys in the 80s? This is really sad. It was hair right? So you remember? It's like, I, I look like a lion. I had this giant, it was just really embarrassing. Now you see why I burned all my pictures. And so, uh, you know, and it's like, it was just, it was, they used to say, you have such obedient hair. It's not obedience falling out. I'm telling, I'm not telling it to do that. And, and, and the whole point of it is, is that no matter how great you did whatever or whatever, it's, in the end of it all, it's not there anymore because it's just not what's really important. And I think of how many times you think of, we try to make sure everything's set perfectly, but to be honest, tomorrow it's actually worth nothing. Because it just doesn't apply anymore. And all of a sudden, if my mind is surrendered to the Lord, I just won't, it won't fit into the world system anymore. Because you know what the world system is? It's me first. And I kind of look and go, oh, I, I've been there. It doesn't work. If my mind belongs to the Lord, it'll be reformed, transformed, reprogrammed to think more like Jesus thinks. And because of that, it says, now look at don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? I think, wow, even the attitudes of my mind are going to be different. That you would be able to prove, the idea of finally weighing out God's perfect will. And I think to be renewed, even in the spirit of my mind, which means the attitude of my mind. You ever have those moments where you smile, but your attitude and your mind's a little different? 
You're like, you know, God's like, look, I'm going to transform it so you don't even have to deal with the snarling dog in your head. And believe it or not, that takes us to where we're at now in the verse. Verse 3. For I say, through the grace given to me, to everyone who was among you. So this isn't to the unbelievers here. This is to the believers in the church of Rome. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has given to each one a measure of faith. And I start to think, if my mind, thinking, my mind, were surrendered to Jesus, it would become humble. To not think of myself more highly than I ought to think. And I think, wait a minute. Humble. The problem with humility is we tend to think humility is just bagging on ourselves. And what's really funny, and it's like, I don't, I don't ever mean to be mean by this, but you can see when someone's playing the game. You know, the person that sort of berates themselves, waiting for you to step in to actually say something nice to them. They're like, well, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, fat and I'm ugly and blah, 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 blah. You know, it, it, it's like, but if they really believed it, they wouldn't have a problem. And you're like, yeah, you are. <laughs> you know? And I, I would only say that to, to prove the point. But it's like, look at false humility is still about you. And humility in its simple sense, look at every person is given a spotlight. God gives you a spotlight. And that spotlight, you are, get to be the spotlight operator. Now, ultimately, the Lord is going to put things in your life where he has a, a spotlight too. And because he has a spotlight too, he can choose moments when that spotlight's going to be on you, when there's nothing you can do about it. I'll be honest. I've, there have many times in my life I have sought to be anonymous, and the Lord has never allowed it. Do you know, no matter where I go in the world, and, it's, and please understand, this isn't bragging. This just shows you how much accountability I need. No matter where I go in the, in, the, in the world, someone walks up and goes, Pastor Tony, it doesn't matter where I am. I could be left on an island, and there's like four tribal members, and one guy comes up, Pastor Tony. It doesn't matter. I mean, when we were in Russia, we did this song called Loser, and it was such a fun song. Because the whole idea of the song is, you know, it seems like such a negative term. And it's like, but I lost my hell, my shame, my filth, my regrets. I want to be, and the whole course is like, I want to be a loser, lose it all at any cost, because I'd rather be the loser than to be the one who's lost. And, and, but at the end of the song, it's like, I want to be a loser, right? Now, it's funny, because no matter, even if we played it on this tiny little place in Russia, it doesn't matter. Every time we're anywhere, it seems like someone will walk up and go, I want to be loser. And they walk up to me. Could you imagine how strange that looks to my friends and we have no context for that? And I'm like, I know I have this strange effect on people. They just do this, you know? And then the whole point of it is, look at, there are times, look at, if you want to be, it is this, look at, if you're trying to grab the spotlight when it, you don't, when you don't belong there, that's a sin. But if you try to run from the spotlight when God puts you there, it's a sin too. You need to be responsible for his light when he shines it. But you have one too. And when you have one, you can choose to shine it where you want. The bottom line is real humility just shines it not on you. That's real humility. But if you're like, well, I'm just a loser. I'm just a you know, nobody and I'm just ugly and fat. Nobody cares. Oh, no, you're not. Oh, no, no, really, I am. No, really, I am. Turn that up. Oh, really, you know. I mean, come on. That's not humility. You're still shining the light on you. But get this. Listen to this verse. By the grace that was given to Paul, he speaks to us. That's going to be important here in a minute. 
that we are not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly. And I get this idea. Well, here's a simple thing. God wants us sober. Isn't that interesting? Now, there was a movement about five, ten years ago within some of our, our more spicy part of our family about this whole drunkenness thing. We're drunk in the spirit. We're wasted in the spirit. We're intoxicated in the spirit. We're barfing our guts out because we overdrank the Holy Spirit. I mean, it gets to the point where I just think, I don't know how much more absurd this can get, but it's interesting because at least 13 different times in Scripture, God tells us he wants us sober. And that's interesting because what he seems to say that is sober here is actually sobriety looks like humility. Isn't that kind of interesting? He's like, listen, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather be sober. You get the idea. It's like either you're going to think of yourself highly over other people, or you're going to be sober, which appears to be the opposite of this. Which then means if I'm actually thinking of myself more highly than I, than I ought to think, am I actually thinking intoxicated? And I go, huh. If I'm intoxicated, I've learned a few things. I was raised kind of in the bar system. I was a little kid that could have made you a highball. I wouldn't now. And I realized when a person gets drunk, wasted on whatever their drug of choice is, they can't think straight. They can't see straight. And they can't perform straight. They're banging their hands and their heads on stuff. You know, it's all right. I'll, I'll drive. I'll drive. No, you won't, man. You can't even talk right. You can't walk right. You can't even get the key in the ignition. And praise God that you can't get the key in the ignition. You can't see straight. And it's like, just drive through the one. Just drive. Follow the white line. Which one? Yeah, you're Get out. But listen to this interesting text. Because as I start to think about what it would be like to be intoxicated without a drug. It's interesting because remember the word intoxicate comes from the root word toxin. I mean, if you're intoxicated, you've been poisoned. It's what the word means. I'm just intoxicated. Wow. So you dump to what poison's in you. Okay, now listen to this. As, I start to, as we start to kind of think of this. As God starts to develop... <coughs> There is a text in Luke 9. And in Luke 9, Jesus said, um, Peter had, de it had um, declared Jesus as the Savior, as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds by saying, you can't have the Messiah without the mission. And the mission is, I'm going to die for the sins of mankind, which nobody seems to hear, which is part of the problem here. And then after that, they go up and Jesus is transformed transfigured and they come down the mountain and he heals the boy at the bottom and then he turns to him again that's his boys and he says boys listen i'm going to die whether you like it or not i'm going to die and if i'm going to die you need to recognize the necessity of picking up your own cross to follow me now that's kind of a little bit of a rough thing to hear and as this is the case then it says that they could not understand because it was hidden from them. And so the natural thing is, well, then who did the hiding? Did God hide this information from them? Like they didn't get it. So God was like, well, I'll just kind of pull it from you so you can't understand it. What's interesting is the next thing that happens in the text. Because the next thing that happens in the text 
is that they are arguing over who would be greatest. And I go, oh, God put that in that order for a reason, didn't he? Understand, <laughs> you could be so hot on yourself. I mean, I, I, I could pretty much venture to say when they argued who would be the greatest, they weren't saying, oh, no, 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 you'd be the greatest, bro. I kind of get the idea that's not what they were doing. They're like, oh, and Peter's like, hey, I just, I just, Jesus said the Holy Spirit just spoke through me. And you can see that saying, Jesus also said, get behind me, Satan to you. You know, I mean, the, the way that they would argue. But listen to this. They were hidden, the information, Jesus' death and the cross, the idea of sacrifice was hidden to them. Sacrifice for others was hidden from them because they were so hot on themselves, so hot on their me first thing that they couldn't see the cross. Case in point, Sam. Sam wakes up one day, looks in the mirror, and he goes, wow, am I fine. Unbelievable how fine I am. And he goes and hangs out with another guy he thinks is fine. He grabs Bjorn. And the two of them start walking down the street. Sam is completely consumed with the idea that he's the man. And he's all right with the idea of Bjorn playing the role of Robin, as long as he gets to be Batman. And as they walk down the street, they meet this beautiful gal. She's kind. She's nice. She's got some substance. She loves the Lord. And, and she just walks. And it's like angels just seem to sing as she sort of sets her foot upon the ground. And Sam is convinced this girl's digging his chili. He's just he's thinking, oh, my goodness. This, any girl would fall for me today. Check me out today. And so he just kind of looks at her and he goes, hi there. And she's like, oh, boy. He's like. I'm Liverpudlian. He thinks that's the final blow. And she's like, uh, that's really nice. You know that awkward where you're trying to be nice, but gnaw off your arm to get out as quickly as you can? And Bjorn's a little bit more objective to this situation. <coughs> and they walk away from this. And Sam's like, she's in love with me. She's in love with me. And Bjorn's like, I wouldn't necessarily use the word love. Something similar, like, and he goes, like, like what? And he goes, like, like, loathe. Loathe is the word I was thinking. Here's the point. Being so caught up into himself, he was blinded from seeing the truth. Do you get it? And I find this interesting. It's intoxicating. You get so wrapped up. And here's the danger, because God's like, I'm about to give you some amazing gifts so that you could be used to bless others. But if you're so consumed in yourself, you will actually use those tools to do this. Check me out. I speak in tongues. You guys want to hear? You know, and it's like, for what? And like, if that's so that someone could, so you could shine your spotlight on you, I'm pretty convinced I could heal. Let's just check it out. And it better work because I'm shining the spotlight. I mean, you know, look at, I'm not saying, look at, if you speak in tongues, praise the Lord. If you, if God gives you the gift of healing, praise the Lord. But the point is, is it me focused or is it others focused? Is it, am I giving myself to the Lord for them? And if I am, it's just not about me. So guys, look at, now that we're into the area of service, this isn't about making you important. You should have reconciled that back in chapters 3 through 5 when I died on the cross for you. You can't get any more important than that. You were a sinner. 
You were an enemy. You were, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were without strength and you were without hope. You were hopeless. And I died for you because that's how important you are to me. And if you can't reconcile how important you are to Jesus at the cross, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to make other people validate you. And you'll never really serve them the way God called because you'll be giving yourself to them for you instead of to the Lord for them. Now, with that in mind, he says then, what if we sobered up? What if it just wasn't about us? What if we were just happy to be a jersey? Because one day he's going to retire this jersey. And when he does, he's going to retire the number. Man, no one's going to want to take this jersey on after that point. It's going to be used up. And you know what? Praise the Lord. So listen, as we wrap this in, he says this. (coughs) Excuse me. God has dealt to everyone, this is the end of verse 3, God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Because, or for, as we have many members on one body, but not all members have the same function, we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So let's get this right. If I am going to do what God calls me in service, which first is to throw myself into the prayer closet and offer myself as God's wardrobe. Are we on the same page with that? And as God puts on the wardrobe and we get to be the wardrobe, it's crazy for us to think, check me out how awesome I am. You're not the athlete. You're the jersey. I'm not the athlete. I'm the jersey as well. And with that then, he says, listen, God's given every person a measure of faith. And by the way, what's really cool is he not only gives us a measure of faith, we can get more. Romans ten seventeen said, the moment you're hearing the word, you're getting more deposited into your account. Right now, God's depositing more faith into your account. That's part of the beauty of it. Now, <laughs> with that, get this, and this is where we bring this around. He says, listen, God has made every one of us a part of the body. And we're going to be unique in those parts. And I look at this and I realize, when my mind sobers, when it stops being about me and I sober up, let me tell you what I discover. I discover that God made me part of a bigger unit. He made me part of the body. Just part. But now I not only discover that God made me a part of, the, of a bigger unit, But God made each part of that bigger unit gloriously unique from each other. Every one of us, unique from each other. Every one of us. No matter how, if you have a twin sister or a twin brother and you look exactly like them, hopefully you're of the same gender, then that doesn't mean you guys aren't different. Every part is uniquely made. Every part is handmade by the master. You're handmade. But listen, God made, though he made me and you, part of a bigger unit for which we were all gloriously and uniquely handmade by God. God makes all of these parts interdependent. That's the interesting part of this. Is that no part functions well without the others. In other words, we belong together. But can I just say this because this becomes the rough part. And by the way, I do challenge you, uh, as we're near the end of this, I do challenge you that in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where God develops this as well, he says two very important things. They're the two places you could go with that. One is no part's more important than another, so stop thinking you're greater than another, but no part is unimportant either. And here's the point, listen. 
When God is the craftsman, let me ask you, honestly, do you believe that when God makes something, he makes it perfectly? Do you really believe that? And then give me a yes. Okay. If you believe that God makes everything perfectly, then God doesn't make a mistake. Is that true? This is what I've learned about craftsmen. When a craftsman does something perfectly, he has no spare parts. You ever see this? The guy takes something apart and he puts it together. And the uh uh-oh happens when he's like, it's all together. Oh, what's that doing there? Right? And you go, oh, that was part of this before. Right? There are no spare parts, right? Listen, there are no spare parts. No spare parts. No part doesn't function. No part doesn't function because he's the master craftsman. No part is the appendix that gets pulled out. No one knows why. You're not an appendix. You are a part of the body. You are not a spare part because God doesn't make spare parts. And he knows what he's doing. You're a unique part. And you'd say, well, I'm not like that other part. And God says, duh, I already have that part. I made it in him. You're a different part. Well, what part am I? You're your part. Well, how do I function? I'll tell you how quite simply how you function. Give yourself to him for others, and the rest is going to happen on its own. You don't, I mean, can you imagine the master watchmaker is putting all the parts together, and a cog is sitting out here. You know, it's the little wheel with the, with the teeth. <clears throat> imagine it goes, I don't know how to work. I don't know how to work. I don't know how to work. And he goes, just Relax. I'm the one putting this together. I'll put you in. And then what's interesting is when the parts go together, it just starts to move because it's with the other part. The one, when the cog doesn't work is when it's sitting out by itself. We are created unique, handmade by the master craftsman. And we are interdependent. We don't function on our own. And the enemy will spend all his time trying to get you out of fellowship quite simply because if he can get you out of fellowship, then you're not functioning. Imagine, and by the way, let me say this. In China, we we are involved with a, a ministry that takes children that are special needs that are left to die so that they can ultimately, we bring them in so they can actually get, in many cases, the necessary surgeries to be adopted out and actually be brought in home. Some of those children will die. I mean, unless God intervened with a miracle, a child's born with one aorta, you kind of know unless God intervenes, there's no surgery you can do necessarily to see that taken care of. Many of them are cleft palates. It's a very correctable and very, very easily correctable situation. But we've discovered over the last few years a few children that are born with some of their intestines on the outside of their body. A very peculiar thing. And they're, and they're obviously don't, I mean, your intestines don't function really well when they're outside. Because they get pinched by, of course, whatever it is that they're hanging on to. And gravity, of course, God created them. Listen, God not only created that thing for a specific function, but he also created it for a specific place. And some of us are like trying to be super Christian or super body part away from the body. That's a bit strange. And this is what he says. Now, remember, this is all under the guise or under the umbrella of service. 
We've already dealt with sin. We recognize we're sinners. We recognize that God's the only one. Jesus is the only one who saves. But as he saves, he gets to be first. And then he, re, and he sets us apart. We see him being sovereign and smart. And we know that he'll use whatever tools. It doesn't have to make sense for the Lord to do what he wants to do. And now we say, all right, Lord, I'm in my prayer closet. I'm your jersey. Put me on. And as that's the case, he says, okay, well, I'm going to not only put you on. I'm going to put you in. And you're like, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to put you on so that I can put you in the body so you can function in the body to bless. Last thing, and we pray on this. Please hear me. When we get to the rest of this, as we start, and next week, by the way, my goal is to actually talk about spiritual gifts next week. The things that God gives each one of you to be unique and function in the body. So I suggest you come as as we start seeing these things develop. But listen to this, and I just find this interesting. And as he says at the end of verse 6, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. And then he starts to develop them. Listen to this verse. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given us. This is the point. Back at the beginning of this in verse 3, Paul says, listen, for I say, through the grace that is given me. Then he says here in verse 6, having then gifts according to the grace that is given us. Do you see that? Paul says, look at to teach you and instruct you and encourage you, to exhort you, I'm going to use the grace that's been given me, the gifts God's given me. Now that you see that somebody doing it, can I encourage you now? By the, according to your faith, because you trust God, let God use the, gifts, use the gifts God's given you. Paul says, I will demonstrate it, but you do it too, please. Now here's my questions as we bring this to prayer. First, as we all are universally sinners, every human being is a sinner, have you accepted the gift of Jesus Christ to bring you from sinner to a place of being a new creation? Where you don't say, look at me first, but you can save me. We say, Lord, you first, then you're the Lord. So I surrender myself to you. Have you done that? If you have, are you willing to let him move you then, set you apart? And as he sets you apart, your mind different than the rest of the world. Now your values different than the rest of the world. And you put others first as you put, or you put the Lord first so that others can be before you in the queue. And then as that's the case, he says, all right, Lord, here I am. I surrender myself to you. As we go to prayer, if you've not accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, I want to give you that opportunity. If you have, I just want to challenge every one of us, you included, me included, to just be further ready to be the jersey he's called us to be. All we need to be is the jersey. And can I say the best thing as a jersey is to be is to not be stiff or inflexible because that's the kind of thing you don't need in a jersey. Every Thursday, every other Thursday morning, I get to go to a rehabilitation house down in southern London. And as I do, we've just started every other week now having basketball, uh, basketball Thursday. And it's so fun to watch these guys because, I mean, these guys were like, 20 years addicted to crack, and now they're going to go out and play basketball. And it's fun because every one of them lights up a cigarette before we play. And, you know, and it's kind of, you don't expect that. And then what's fun is like five minutes into it, you know, they're like, <laughs> you know, and you wonder why. <clears throat> and, but one of the guys that had come a couple times ago, it was just interesting. You just know he wasn't going to last long. He wore these just like skin tight jeans. And it was like, it just hurt to move. And the guy was just, you know, while other guys were rubbing their muscles, this guy was just trying to get his jeans a little bit more stretched out because they were just stiff and inflexible. Can I just say clinging to Jesus is one thing, but we have to be flexible because he's going to move in ways that we might be unfamiliar with. And that's part of the exciting thing is to let God, to trust him to take us to places that would just be beyond it. Will you pray with me, please? 
Lord, I thank you so much for the blessing, for the blessing of this time today. I thank you, Lord, that there are no spare parts. None of us in you are designed to be a spectator. You've called us all on the field. But we also recognize that you have called us on the field to have unique positions. You've placed us in a place, Lord, where you want us. That's your job to put us in the position that you know you've made us to be in. You've given us gifts, Lord, many of which we have yet to discover. Gifts that are to be used, Lord. But we recognize, Lord, we could give ourselves to others for their favor and somehow think we're pleasing you. <coughs> but Lord, tonight we recognize in your scripture, you call us to give ourselves to you. And in our surrender to you, you use us to bless others. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to be the athlete. We simply get to be the jersey. Thank you, we don't have to be the artist. We get to be the paintbrush. Thank you that we don't have to be the craftsman. We get to be the tool. And so we surrender ourselves to you and we say, yes, Lord, please make your loving will clear that we would surrender to you as we seek to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. by putting you first and us last and in doing that. And in doing that, we could see your perfect will clearly. And as we sober up, reveal to us, Lord, those things you've ordained to bless others. The gifts you've given. Not the things we've earned, but the gifts you've given. So tonight, Lord, we want all of us here, we want to be just surrendered to you. So Lord, I just pray right now if there be any who, have not, who are not sure whether they've ever really accepted your gift. The gift of your son dying on the cross for their sins and his resurrection. Therefore, Lord, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, convict, convince, and with that, inspire. And if that's you tonight, you can walk out if you're sure that you belong to him. I'm going to pray a prayer and I ask you to listen. And if you agree, I ask you to say at the end a confident and resounding amen. And what that means is, I agree, so be it. Let this be the truth in my life now. Let this prayer be mine. And here it is. God, I confess to you, I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. I've thought wrong. I've felt wrong. I've intended wrong. But Lord, you... But this, Lord, you know. You know that you love us. And in loving us, you sent your son to die for each of us. And in dying for each of us, you paid for every one of our sins. You put us first. And as you put us first, we accept your gift. The gift of your son dying on the cross to pay for all of our guilt, all of our wrong. And as we accept him as Savior, we accept him as Lord, as he not only died for us, but rose from the dead on the third day, just like your scripture promised. So, here we are, we're yours. Our life is one to surrender to you now. 
We're not trying to impress you. We just want to hand ourselves over to you. And in doing so, we give you the right to completely redo us in whatever way you see fit because we trust your way is the best. So Lord, here we are. We surrender to you now in Jesus' name. And if you agree, I simply ask you to say, Amen.